You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Have you always wanted to hear the hockey stories told from the press box? For your premier source of hockey prospect news from across the AHL, NCAA, Canadian Hockey League, and international leagues, this is your all-access pass to The Press Zone, a hockey podcast packed with news, analysis, interviews, and entertainment featured on AHLReport.com. Your hosts, Amy Johnson and Rick Stevens, are experienced, credentialed hockey reporters, bringing you stories built from strong connections throughout the hockey community and from inside rinks all across North America. Welcome to The Press Zone. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Press Zone podcast right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media. We are a proud part of the Hockey Podcast Network. And so if you found us that way, welcome. We're glad to have you here. We're here each and every Tuesday all year long. Uh, and we're just so excited to get started today. I'm your host of the show, also the lead correspondent at the AHL Report. Uh, my name is Amy Johnson, and every week I am joined in the studio by my wonderful co-host. Couldn't do it without him. He's our president, founder, and editor-in-chief uh, across all of our Rocket Sports Media publications. And his name is Rick Stevens. How are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. How about that, Arturi Lekkonen? You know... I hearken back to a year and a half ago, preseason for the 2021 season. In preseason, when he was doing great Arturi Lekkonen things, and I was tweeting, Arturi Lekkonen is the most underrated and underappreciated player on the Montreal Canadiens roster. And I got so hammered on Twitter for saying that because, you know, not a whole lot of people really liked Arturi Lekkonen because mm-hmm. you were told over and over again in the mainstream media in Montreal that Arturi Lekkonen was not that great of a player. And then as Arturi Lekkonen moved through the season and continued to do great things, I just kept bumping that tweet. And and I'm I'm sufficiently in Amy's I told you so <laughs> ha 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 mode because I just couldn't be happier for him. What a what, like he has just uh, he needed to move out of Montreal and he needed to be given good line mates and my goodness I'm just I'm thrilled for him he just looks spectacular out there. Well, he was uh, attached to slugs almost <laughs> his entire career in Montreal. Yeah. I I know that uh, the mainstream media uh, were very fond of ridiculing uh, Arturi Lekkonen, said he had no hands whatsoever, nope. couldn't score a goal, Mm-mm. made fun every time he hit a post. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I've, even had, I've even had arguments with folks on our own team who said he would never, ever be anything more than a fourth liner. Uh, and yet last night um, for the Colorado Avalanche, um, Arturi Lekkonen, well, he sent his, he, let's just say his team to the Stanley Cup final 
with an overtime winning goal for the second year in a row because he did it for Colorado last night, did it for uh, the Canadians against uh, Vegas uh, last year. Um, and if you ask Nathan McKinnon, who's, <laughs> who I think knows a little bit about hockey, mm-hmm. he said, uh, right now, I'd trade 10 first-rounders for Arturi Lekkonen. So He's a little valuable. Very valuable, yeah, indeed. A little valuable. Really happy to see him getting all the love uh, from the Colorado media, the national media, uh, Colorado fans. Um, Arturi Lekkonen's kind of coming into his own with this change of scenery. The trade was, was wonderful for him, um, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do in the Stanley Cup final again <laughs> this year. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting and just just really super happy for him. Um, very also exciting what we're going to talk about today. Um, speaking of former Montreal Canadiens uh, players and prospects, uh, we've got a lot to bring you today. Um, the Laval Rocket, of course, are in the midst of their Eastern Conference final series against the Springfield Thunderbirds. Um, the Thunderbirds, of course, being the AHL affiliate of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, that series is currently tied 1-1, and so Rick and I are going to get you up to date on what happened in those first two games in case you missed it. Uh, if you did, shame on you, but uh, we have a way for you to get caught up on all of that. We're going to get you uh, all up to speed on on what went down in those two games. Uh, we've got audio from post-game interviews from guys like Jesse Ullinen, Rafael Harvey-Pinard, both coaches, uh, both both uh, Laval and Springfield's coaches, uh, we've been chatting with uh, the Springfield folks as well. And then, um, really excited to bring you some audio, extended audio from um, an exclusive interview. Uh, Patrick Williams and I had the opportunity to sit down uh, for a two-on-one exclusive interview with both uh, former Habs prospects playing for the Springfield Thunderbirds. Charlie Lindgren and Will Bitten. Uh, and we've got a lot of the audio from those interviews uh, for you today just to kind of get you up to speed on uh, how they're doing uh, with both of them playing in the St. Louis Blues organization, uh, the mentality for both of them in approaching this game against their for- the series against their former organization, and just uh, some, some fun anecdotal stuff as well. So lots to talk about there. We're going to talk a little bit about Chris Weidman's contract extension. And then in our second segment, get you caught up on what's happening in the Western Conference Final. Set the table for the rest of Laval's games for this week and where you can find uh, all the best coverage for that and so much more. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Well, let's get going. Let's get going. So as I say, the Eastern Conference Final, first two games took place in Springfield at the Mass Mutual Center with uh, Springfield having home ice advantage for this best of seven series. Uh, And so... You know, it was this was one of those things we talked about it on last week's show that uh, it was a little uh, uncertain as to what to expect from this series because these two teams only met twice during the regular season, once in Massachusetts and once in Quebec, uh, and they split that two game regular season series one and one. So, uh, and in each occasion, it was the road team who was victorious. So it was a little hard to, um, you know, kind of judge if one team or another was going to come out very strongly uh, in this series, you know, on, on paper, Springfield looks to be the stronger team, a uh, bit more experience, bit more depth, uh, and certainly, you know, finished the, the regular season much higher in the standings uh, overall in the league. Uh, 
Um, but Rick, it's really been, uh, at least for games one and two, it has been very tight hockey, very defensive hockey. Um, and game one uh, ended up being uh, an OT thriller that Springfield came away with. And really, I feel like this, uh, J.F. Uhl said this after the game as well, that uh, that game could have gone either way. And I have to agree with him for game one. Uh, Laval could have easily come out the winner on that one. Now, it didn't start out that way. No. Um, the first period, uh, you know, in, in all of the, the lead up, because there was a fair bit of time uh, to the series, uh, there was an opportunity to look at the teams, to look at Laval's uh, previous opponents, and uh, where you had Rochester with a lot of young talent. Uh, Springfield had more, you know, they had veterans, uh, and where Rochester seemed to get flustered and couldn't uh, make a pass. Springfield came out and they absolutely dominated uh, the first period of this game. Like totally dominated. Mm -hmm. Don't look at the stat sheet. Don't look at the the game score because that's Mm -hmm. not going to tell you the story. Especially the Um, shots. No, don't look at the the shot count. Um, But uh, Springfield came out and uh, they they controlled the play. Uh, They're an excellent passing team. Tape to tape passes. Their zone entries were clean. They had no trouble whatsoever gaining the um, the the Laval zone, um, and uh, there was there was they were just passing up opportunities. They were taking very few shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were were passing up good opportunities, waiting for great opportunities that never came. Uh, didn't make the shots. And then, uh, full credit to J.F. Uhl, uh, second period, Laval changed the way they played. Uh, the defenseman who, in the Rochester series, we, we, told, we talked about this, would allow the forwards to come into the zone and then interfere with them. And, and we said they were very fortunate <laughs> uh, not getting uh, penalties. Uh, but uh, that didn't seem to work at all when it came to... Um, Springfield, because they were a much better uh, organized, better passing team. They moved the puck at a much quicker pace. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jeff Wold asked his defensemen from the second period on to stand up at the blue line and and not to, and to challenge them there. Uh, and that that changed uh, that completely changed the game. Yep. Uh, from that point on, uh, Springfield was uh, they were taking more shots. On the other side, you could see that that uh, uh, the Springfield coach had had uh, changed his tactics to encouraging his his team to take more shots. But because uh, they were being stood up at the blue line, they were taking shots from the perimeter. Uh, so a lot more shots, a lot less effective. Uh, and that kept this a very tight game right to the very end. Um, and until... Um, uh, there was the um, um, uh, Springfield tied it late, then just an absolutely brutal, uh, boneheaded move by Alex Belzeal. The penalty that he took, mm. uh, elbow to the head, uh, 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 just away from a, the play, a cheap shot, and and some and something that should have had his butt attached to the bench for the rest of the series. Um, and uh, then Matthew Peck, as you said, went on to score in overtime. 
um, and Springfield took that first game. And that would be former Montreal Canadian forward Matthew Pekka scoring that OT winner. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a the goaltenders... The defense on either side did did a very good job. The goaltenders at times had an easy job. It was Caden Primo versus Joel Hofer. Uh, Drew Bannister uh, choosing to go with Hofer since Hofer was the one who backstopped Springfield uh, all through their three-game sweep of the Charlotte Checkers because uh, Charlie Lindgren was up uh, on emergency recall with St. Louis. Um, and so, as you say, you know, Springfield, uh, as far as uh, Joe Hofer had some some great saves. Uh, Caden Primo did as well. But also, as you said, they you know, Springfield was getting stood up at the blue line, shooting from the perimeter. And most of the time, if Caden Primo sees your shot, he's going to make the save. It's when you get him... Uh, moving uh, side to side and close into the crease, or if you're shooting high on his blocker side, are, are typically his weak, uh, weak areas. And so, just shooting at him from the perimeter wasn't going to be too much of a test for him. Uh, it was an exciting win. It was a big, uh, I think, a, a bit of a deflating loss for for Laval to come out on the losing side of that. Um, as- and, and just to add, with respect to the goaltenders, mm-hmm. Joel Ho- Hofer was outstanding, particularly in the third period. Yeah, I think that that Springfield was reading uh, the the Caden Primo press clippings because they look in t- looked intimidated by him in the first period, wanting to make that that perfect play. Um, and 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 yes, as as you said. Primo, um, that that deflected shot got past him at the end of the game, mm-hmm. and then um, and then was just kind of out of it on the on the overtime goal. Yeah, um, when uh, when we spoke to Matthew Pekka on the Springfield side after the game, um, he talked about uh, what it is in his in the Springfield dressing room that gave them the ability to in a game like this. I sh- I should preface this by saying and reminding people. Um, not only did Springfield have a three-game sweep of the Charlotte Checkers, they did the same thing in the first series as that they played in the postseason as well. They came into this series with Laval undefeated in the playoffs, 6-0. and And so with the OT winner, that took them to 7-0, and undefeated in the Calder Cup playoffs for this year. And so uh, this was the first time, though, that they were really facing a a, a, a bit of adversity. There were a couple of games, uh, one against Wilkes-Barre and one against Charlotte, where they found themselves in a hole that they crawled out of. Uh, but Matthew Pekka spoke to us uh, a bit about just what it takes in the Springfield dressing room for them to have the perseverance they did to come out with a win. Biggest thing for me, what I learned was just keeping your composure. There's just, there's so many things that happen through a playoff series, an entire playoff year and game shift, you name it. You know, you're going you're gonna to go through some adversity. So it's just about keeping your cool. We're, we're a very disciplined team. Um, so I think it's helped us big time. And, and that's so important in the playoffs. Um, Laval uh, was very successful getting under the skin of Syracuse. They were very successful getting under the skin of, of Rochester. And, uh, and keeping composed uh, helped uh, Springfield, uh, definitely helped Springfield in game one. And the interesting thing to me is uh, Drew Bannister, after game two, uh, mentioned that despite the fact that that Springfield has been disciplined, uh, Bannister isn't yet satisfied with their level of discipline. Uh, he's already talking about how, you know, um, he's not even liking that his team is getting a 
getting baited a bit into just the little scrums and the the yapping at one another after whistles and stuff like that uh, wants his team to even knock that stuff off. So obviously discipline is a very, very big theme in the Springfield locker room. Yeah, and I think I think there was a big change between game one, game two. Uh, the Springfield were were disciplined in game one. They were not in game two and no. they, they got involved a lot more in in some of those after the the whistle scrums into the chirping back and forth uh that that was and and that's that's Laval's game that's, that's what they do that's what they like to do there a lot of chirping there they have some some experts at that Danic uh, Martel Danic laughing Martel. in your face is yeah. going to do that <laughs> um they they are very very adept at that and uh, i think Bannister was very upset with his team uh, that they they were drawn into that in game two. So uh, game two, less than 24 hours later, you know, game one was was Saturday night at 7 p.m. Game two, uh, seven, sorry, 7.30 p.m. Game two, five o'clock the next day. So less than a 24-hour turnaround. Uh, Bannister elected to, as he's done throughout the playoffs when he's had both of his goaltenders available, Unlike Laval, where it's been the primo show ever since game two of the first series, uh, Lindgren and Hofer have have rotated and and rested when needed. Um, and so Bannister chose to uh, start Charlie Lindgren for game two, giving uh, Joel Hofer a little bit of rest uh, after having getting the, gotten them the, the OT uh, win the night before. Uh, this game, however, went... Pretty solidly in Laval's direction. Uh, they scored first. Um, Springfield chased this game quite a bit. And um, instead of it, ta- game one, that first goal that Laval scored didn't happen until the second half of the game. In this instance, first period, they were able to get on the board. And I think that was a big difference for them in getting uh, the offense woken up a little bit. Uh, This was the first game that Lindgren had played in about three weeks because he didn't play when he was on recall in St. Louis. Uh, He was just there as an emergency backup to Billy Huso. So this was the first game action that Lindgren had been in in three weeks. Um, And I think maybe they were trying to take a bit of advantage of that as well. Um... Laval coming up with a very big regulation win. They won this one 4-2. Jesse Ullinen with with just a monumental night. He is just continuing to grow and grow and grow in his role with a three-point night, a goal and two assists. Um, Just absolutely looked uh, pretty tremendous out there. But in true Jesse Ullinen fashion... (laughs) Probably one of the most, I mean, we talk about modest hockey players uh, occasionally here. He, he, he has them all beat. He, he does not like to talk about his own individual game. He does not like to be, there is definitely no I in team for Jesse Ullinen. And, and this was his reaction when someone asked him about uh, whether or not he was pleased with his performance in his three point game. Well, it was, it was okay. Like, uh, I could help the, the team win and uh, wins are all that matters right now. So I'm uh, happy. He's got the right attitude that, that uh, it's, it's a team focus. It's not so much, um, you know, personnel focused or, or individual record records or, or, or uh, achievements, but uh, it was the Yesa Ullinen show. Um, he had this game locked up by the middle of the first period. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, that he, the, the the way he set up the first goal, his his second goal by the eleven minute mark of the first period, two nothing. It was tough for the um, for Springfield after that to chase the entire game. Then uh, Laval could just sit back and lock down and and not let uh, play that kind of defensive. Uh, style, use the good sticks, use the pressure game that they had used from previous uh, series. Um, and it was a good thing because Caden Primo, this he looked rough. He looked really rough on this night, not tracking the puck well, made some puck handling flubs. Uh, he was not, this was not a good Caden Primo game. Um, and as such, his team bailed him out and and did that, uh, did that rather early. Uh, mostly because of the effort of Yessa Ullinen. Uh When I spoke with Raphael Harvey-Pinard after the game, uh, he had some some pretty specific reasons why he believed that Laval was able to have such a, a dominant win in Game 2. Uh, I think we played a little bit better in our zone. We uh, we closed a little bit more that game. We we find a way to uh, to cut their speed. I think that, that made a huge difference for us tonight. And uh, also our track back, our bad checking uh, was very good tonight. I think... Uh, we we didn't give them a, a lot of uh, big opportunities on their rush. So that's that's exactly kind of what I just said, that uh, they were able to play that game, uh, the pressure game, uh, causing turnovers and not allowing uh, the Springfield uh, Thunderbirds to penetrate the zone as easily as they had done in that first period of game one, um, that, that, that the, the defensive game was and and I think per, you know perhaps um, the coaching staff noticed that uh, you know it wasn't necessarily uh, Primo's night, so that um, they 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 made sure that uh, he was uh, protected, and they were able to do that because of that uh, that early multi multi goal lead. Absolutely, um, it was. Uh... It was a big deal for this for this team to get this win. J.F. Ull and a number of the players after the game talked about how key it was, uh, just like they did uh, in the Syracuse series uh, when they did not have home ice advantage in that series. Uh, Ull mentioning that it was uh, very important for them to at least get one game in the first two on the road uh, because now... The way this series is set up, it's a 2-3-2. So now, with the series tied 1-1, the series moves back to Laval at Place Bell now, but not just for games 3 and 4. It's for games 3, 4, and 5. Um, and so, I mean, in a perfect world, if Laval is able to come up with three wins this week at home, they take the series, and Springfield doesn't have an opportunity to play in front of their own fans again. Um in order for Springfield to to avoid that happening, they are going to need to get at least one win in Laval this week in order to force Game 6 uh, back in Springfield and then possibly even Game 7 back in Springfield. So um, spoke to both head coaches uh, after both games, particularly after Game 2 with the series tied 1-1. And both coaches separately had a similar theme. A... Uh, for both coaches, they understand that against in in this series, uh, playing with the lead and not chasing a lead is crucial early in the game. And both of them uh, acknowledge that the Place Bell crowd is a factor 
and both of them have to figure out ways to manage that good and bad for each of their teams. We're going to start with Drew Bannister, the the head coach for for the Springfield Thunderbirds, and this is what he uh, had to say both about Laval's defense and and what he's learning about his team uh, trying to get behind them and and what's what it's going to take for him to to have them get some wins on the road in Laval. They're D, they're D. It's a veteran D core. Um, you know, they their their gaps have been really tight. They don't give you a lot of space. I think that's, you know, um, uh, you know, a little bit different from what we saw. Like with Charlotte D, they're you know a really good skating core, uh, always up in the play. Um, you know, this 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 D defends really well. Uh, don't give you a lot of space. They close quick down low. So, you know, we. You know, uh, I don't think the effort was was not there trying to get to the areas. You have to give them some credit. You know, being heavy down low and be able to close on us, but we're going to have to fight for more space here when we go into Laval. But I mean, for us, it's just you know we got to stop chasing leads here. We 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 got to come out a lot better than we have and find ways to to score goals early in the game, uh, and build some momentum and and make them kind of chase us. So, as you said, Springfield um, was cruising along and, um, and, and ran into Laval, and, and now they've, they've lost their home ice. They're going to need a, a win in Laval to regain that home ice uh, advantage that they had worked so hard during the regular season to get. Um, and, and we heard Drew Bannister say m- much of it is because of uh, the defense, and, and, um, and as Raphael Harvey-Penard said, the f- forwards coming back, to, to check and not give um, uh, the Springfield forwards any space in the Laval zone. Uh, those tight gaps, good sticks, uh, the, the in-your-face um, uh, play of Laval is, is, uh, is changed uh, for Springfield the way they've, they've uh, uh, been able to, to uh, be successful in the playoffs so far. The other way that they've been successful uh, prior to the Laval series was that they had scored a power play goal in every game that they had played in. Um, and so far, um, they Nobody are, has. <laughs> well, that's right. Um, but, uh, m- but it's, it's, it's more, more, uh, been more difficult for, uh, Springfield because they're used to su- success and they get offense from the power play. They're 0 for 7 so far in this series. Um, and, and it is going to, talking about Plas Bell, it is going to have an effect. And um, the Mass Mutual Center was pretty quiet throughout mm-hmm. uh, the first two games. It's not going to be that way when they get to Laval. And Bannister acknowledged that in his presser. And he said, you know what, what our, what my team is going to need to do is to take that energy from the Plas Bell crowd and use it for their own motivation as well and use it to pump themselves up, even though it's not their home crowd. Uh, speaking with J.F. Uhl then, uh, just moments later, he talked about how uh, pretty much the same thing, um, you know, the importance particularly in this game, and to continue being able to play with a lead, uh, as they did in in both of these first two games. They established the lead in both games, uh, but also talked about that, uh, you know, the Plasbell crowd in terms of while it is a big advantage, it is something uh, that his players have to manage as well. Yeah, no, you know what, it's important for us. Uh, obviously, taking the lead is, uh, is a big thing in, in, uh, in playoffs. You can take the lead and then... Uh, you know, keep grinding. I, I thought we wear them down a little bit towards the end of the game. And, the, you know, that's the game plan. Get pucks behind them and keep grinding. And, uh, you know, we could do that at home as well. 
uh, we have the crowd on our side and uh, it's uh, again even though you have a big crowd it's you have to control your emotions so that's going to be a, a sticking point for us with a big crowd there's big expectations and so that's a way that the the players have to to manage their reaction to the emotions of the crowd um say they don't get out to a lead as they did in Springfield they have to make make sure that that uh the the expectations of the crowd don't don't lead to frustrations uh and and i'm sure the coaching staff's going to be being positive as as Ular always is um, and uh, but that's that's going to be especially important if uh, Laval gets down. Well, and and we saw exactly that happen in the series uh, with Rochester. The game that uh, no, sorry, not with Rochester. Uh, it might have been with the Syracuse series. The game that they lost at home. Uh, and Ul talked about it after that game, saying, "I didn't think that we managed the crowd energy well." Talking about how. The players were getting sucked into, you know, if the crowd was irritated at the refs because of a call or if the if 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 the crowd was getting irritated with a play that they didn't like or a player that that his his players were feeding too much into that and not controlling their emotions enough. And so uh, I think a little bit of that is he has seen them slip in that regard once this postseason already. And so he knows that with the stakes even higher uh, it's going to be something that they're going to absolutely have to key in on. Uh, now, at the top of the show, we heard from uh, Matthew Pekka, former Habs forward who scored the uh, OT winner for Springfield. Uh, Patrick Williams and I had the opportunity last week to sit down with the other two familiar faces, former Habs organization uh, members uh, who now play for the Springfield Thunderbirds in the St. Louis Blues system, goaltender Charlie Lindgren and forward Will Bitten. Um, and so wanted to bring you um, some, uh, some of of those interviews today because they were fascinating. We talked, uh, Patrick and I talked with both of them separately about uh, a variety of issues, both surrounding uh, this Eastern Conference final series against their former organization, uh, about, you know, what it was, what things are like with them, and 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 even just what it's been like for them in the St. Louis Blues organization, playing for the Thunderbirds and, and where they're at uh, with their individual progress in their game. Uh, Going to start with Charlie Lindgren. As I mentioned uh, earlier, Lindgren did not start uh, for any of those uh, games against Charlotte uh, because he was up with St. Louis. Uh, Of course, Jordan Bennington getting uh, injured in game three uh, and uh, Charlie Lindgren needing to be put on emergency recall to come up uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs to help back up Vili Husso as St. Louis tried to uh, continue their postseason, uh, and this this first uh, and un- unfortunately we know that, that that didn't work out. It's the only reason that Charlie Lindgren is back in Springfield uh, is because the St. Louis Blues were eliminated eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. But uh, this first uh, this first clip that we have is a little anecdote that he uh, that he conveyed to uh, to Patrick and myself uh, in just what what that moment was like. He said that uh, he and his wife were sitting and watching that game. Game three, in which Jordan Bennington uh, got injured, and suddenly, twenty minutes later, his phone was ringing that he needed to pack a bag because he was going to need to be called to St. Louis. Uh, and this uh, this anecdote just kind of gives you just a glimpse into what kind of life in the AHL can be like for a player when something like that happens. You know, 
20 minutes later, I'm getting the call that I'm, I'm going to St. Louis. And, you know, on top of that, I think our lease here goes till June 21st. So you start mm. kind of panicking, like, you know, well, St. Louis go up there and make a deep run. Um, you know, I gotta, we better, better get packing. So, you know, we actually ended up packing up pretty much the whole apartment. All we got in there now is a futon and a couple bar stools. So, um, it's not a great place to hang out, but, um, so there's there's life uh, involved in yeah. playoffs too, and and it's not uh, not necessarily like the NHL where you know you just um, go off and call the movers. Uh, Charlie had to pack up and then head up to St. Louis uh, where he'd act as backup for the Stanley Cup playoffs, no less. Right, like there's he's got that to focus on, and and he and his wife are suddenly like, well, I guess. Before you go, what if St. Louis goes on a really deep run and the lease here is up June 21st? She needs to be ready to just put everything on a truck and move. So, okay, we'll just pack up the whole apartment before I go. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, boy, life in the minor leagues. It's, uh, it's, it's all the non-glamorous stuff that happens behind the scenes that sometimes is really interesting to hear about. Um, even though Charlie didn't get to play uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, Billy Huso started the two games that that Lindgren was up. Um, he certainly, as as any player, and in particular Charlie Lindgren, is wont to do, uh, soaked in as much of the experience as he could. This is a very different kind of atmosphere for him to be in the midst of the Stanley Cup playoffs on the bench as the backup, ready to go in at any time if something uh, God forbid should happen to Billy Huso. Um, and so he he talked to us a bit about how he plans to use that experience as brief as it was, but use what he saw and experienced in that locker room up there uh, in in the rest of the playoff bid for for Springfield and talked a lot about how um, he feels the locker rooms are very similar and and what an advantage that is. That's a great locker room to just be around, just kind of see how they handle adversity. And I think, you know, comparing that locker room up there to the locker room down here, mm. um, you know, I think we got a lot of the same guys. I think we got a, a really good leadership group here. And, you know, of course, we got some young guys too. But just, you know, in playoffs, everything's not always going to go your way. You're going to give up goals. You're going to lose a game yeah. eventually. Like, you know, it's, it's how you respond to that. Mm. And I think – you know, seeing how St. Louis kind of handles that and the, the leadership group up there. And I think we can, you know, um, I know for sure, um, you know, seeing that firsthand, I know I can take a somewhat I learned up there down here too. And we were, we're, we recall that it was uh, not only um, Charlie Lindgren getting called up at the end of the season uh, during the playoffs for St. Louis and the, the kind of adversity uh, that was affecting the team then, there was adversity at the beginning of the season for the St. Louis Blues when they uh, also had uh, um, injury issues for their goaltenders and called on uh, Charlie Lindgren. And, and what did he do but go up and set <laughs> records, uh, mm-hmm. set uh, franchise records, won five straight games, goals against a 122 uh, save percentage, uh, boarding on 960. He was phenomenal and uh, righted the ship when St. Louis needed him most. Um, and so it's it's that kind of experience that's very valuable for him and that he'll be applying to these playoffs. And I mentioned that in a question to him. I said it's kind of the inevitable question, but phrased it in the way of, you know, you during that 
phenomenal run that you had in the NHL uh, during that five-game stint. One of those teams that you defeated was the Montreal Canadiens, uh, and it was a big deal uh, at, at the time. Um, but now an entire season has gone by, and, and now it's the playoffs, and now you're facing your former team that you used to play for for so many years in the Easter Conference final of the Calder Cup playoffs. Um, and I asked him, you know, what's that like? Is is it is it is it giving you extra motivation playing against your former team? Or is it just uh, another team that you're approaching as just another challenge in the playoffs? Uh, and he was—he uh, gave a very thoughtful, and maybe some listeners might be surprised to hear there's basically no no hard feelings for Charlie Lindgren in facing his former team. You know, I was up there for for five years of my life. Uh, my first five years, crawl. You know, I have a lot of a lot of memories up there, and you know, if, you know what I'm telling a lot of people is, you know, there's been a lot of turnover there. The whole the whole coaching staff in Laval, besides Marco, who, uh, you know, I'm Marco's biggest fan. I can't wait to see him and, um, you know, management. And, you know, there's a lot of turnover. I think I really only know five or six guys maybe on that Laval team now. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, of course there's added motivation, but um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's playoffs and, you know, it's, it's winner go home. I mean, that's, that's how, how it works. So, um, you know, every game is going to matter. Um, you know, it's going to be fun to see some of the, some of my friends up there, some familiar faces, you know, Glenn Kinney too, Seb, um, you know, just some guys that I really, uh, you know, I, I appreciate, I appreciated all their help, um, when I was up there, um, and support. So, you know, I'm going to be happy to see some guys, but, um, yeah, I'm just going to look at it as a, another series that's going to have a lot of emotion to it. And it's going to be, um, I'm, I'm sure, really intense, uh, some really intense hockey. Yeah, I think that that sometimes that that whole, um, you know, revenge um, uh, aspect is is made a little bit too much of, um, particularly now uh, for Charlie when, um, as he said, the folks in Laval have have there's there's a huge turnover both in the players and and the stab, but, but Montreal Canadians as well, the folks that brought uh, Charlie mm-hmm. we- uh, Lindgren to, Mo- to Montreal in the first place out of college hockey are not there. Um, the folks that he dealt with are not there. Uh, the regime has changed. Players have changed. Um, and as he said, uh, other than, um, you know, someone like Marco Marciano, who doesn't get enough credit as no, the goaltending coach in, in Laval, um, Glenn Kin- Kinney, the athletic therapist, um, that uh, that there's not many, uh, and and even if there was, um, you have to beat your opponent, whoever they are, or else uh, you go home. That's the, that's the story of the playoffs. Absolutely. The interesting thing um, for Charlie Lindgren and and his support system, you know, we've talked to Charlie many times over the years. He always talks so much about how big his support system is. Uh, with his with his family and and close friends, uh, we had the we had the privilege of of covering his brother Ryan uh, when he was playing for Team USA in the in the the World Juniors, um, and uh, you know we've we've had a chance to say hello to his his parents and his and his other brother as well. Um, so family is a very important thing for Charlie Lindgren. But he's not the only guy in the family who's currently playing in an Eastern Conference final. <laughs> Ryan, of course, is playing in the Stanley Cup 
Eastern Conference final uh, for the New York Rangers uh, playing against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I uh, I asked Charlie, I said, so I have to know, uh, how are mom and dad handling two sons both playing in an Eastern Conference final at the same time? And and he got a good chuckle out of that and and and, and had this to say. I think they're having a lot of fun with it. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, they're just super proud. I think uh, they're definitely watching a lot of hockey. Um, you know, my dad and uh, my brother, they're supposed to go to a golf tournament in a couple of weeks. I think they're going to say screw that and <laughs> cancel it so they can watch hockey. And, uh, you know, they're just they're extremely proud. So obviously getting the support from them, um, you know, means the world for both Ryan and I. And, you know, I'm still trying to I'm really not that far from Ryan. It's a bummer that I haven't been able to get out there and, and go to a game yet. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly going to try to. But um it's been fun to see the way they've, uh, you know, they've been a really good team all year. And, um, you know, the way that they handled business last night against Tampa, too. I mean, that was a, a pretty impressive game one. So, you know, obviously they got a long ways to go, but um, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. Very exciting for the family. Yeah. Um, and with three hockey playing sons, uh, Charlie, uh, we know Ryan, who has only blossomed um, since uh, since well, he was drafted by Boston, and then the trade. Uh, he's blossomed since he got out of Boston. As, Pretty much, as, he really has. Yes, yeah. That, um, not showing bias there. And Andrew <laughs> uh, uh, playing college hockey as a goaltender. The, the, oh, uh, a, a great hockey playing family, and uh, and we're glad to see uh, that that all three of them are being successful. Absolutely. Uh, so it was it was great to catch up with Charlie Lindgren. Uh, he promised that, uh, of course. Uh, once, uh, whenever the season ends for for him in Springfield, uh, sometime this summer, uh, he's going to join us here on the podcast. Uh, he's going to join Rick and myself here on the podcast, and we'll do a full catch up on on what his first year away from the Montreal Canadiens was like, and and just how things are going with Charlie Lindgren. So stay tuned for that later this summer. Uh, but the the fun didn't stop there. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a chance to speak with Will Bitten. Um, Will Bitten. It's really for me kind of a it's it's a, it's a sad story you know it's and it I had to remind myself um you know Will Bitten was always an exciting player to watch play uh after he was drafted you know you watched him uh in in junior and whatnot he was exciting to watch um he never got to play for Laval uh he, he made it through training camp uh made it through preseason and got traded to the Minnesota Wild on October 3rd of 2018, basically a week before the regular season was about to start and about a week before his pro debut uh, in a regular season game for the AHL, got traded to the Minnesota Wild. Um, So he went on and he played uh, the better part of three years for the Iowa Wild. He had some pretty decent seasons while he was in Iowa. And then in the middle of the season this year, uh, I believe it was in December of of 2021, uh, just just this past December, uh, Minnesota traded him to the St. Louis Blues organization and he joined the Springfield Thunderbirds. And he's had uh, a pretty tremendous second half of the season this year with the Thunderbirds, uh, had a bit of rejuvenation for himself as well, uh, particularly in the playoffs. He's been very good in the playoffs. In fact, um, the start of this series was the end of his, I think game two was the end of his 
uh, point streak. I believe he was on a, a seven or eight game point streak, uh, has been doing very well. Um, his answer, however, when I posed to him the same type of question that I asked Charlie, we just heard Charlie talk about, uh, you know, that it, he was kind of just taking this as this is just another opponent and just another series. Um, Will Bitten has a very different outlook on this because Will Bitten hasn't really had too much of an opportunity uh, to to go again. Being in the Western Conference in the AHL, he hasn't been around uh, Laval in in the Eastern Conference in the AHL over the last few years. And so this is what he had to say about being traded from Montreal and what this series uh, really means to him. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, like you said, I think for me, um, I don't regret anything. I believe that everything happens for a reason, but I think for me, it was more, more disappointing. I mean, um, getting drafted there. I'm from Ottawa. Montreal was my favorite team growing up. Um, my first language is French. I got a lot of family there. So in, in that aspect, more disappointing, but more because I didn't get to show them what I can do at the pro level. I think my solid play suit, suits more in the pro level and that I can bring that game that, they didn't see quite yet. So, but other than that, going to Minnesota, you know, they gave me a great opportunity there. Every time, every time a team um, wants you is really good. And that was the case for me. So um, took that opportunity, got, got a couple um, taxi squad call-ups um, last year. So that was huge. Didn't get a game yet. So I'm still grinding, but um, you know, everything happens for a reason and just really excited to show them that, you know, this is who I am and uh, this is what they could have had if I stuck around, you know? It's, it's, um, you hear there's still some pain in his voice uh, about what happened. Um, And he probably doesn't understand what happened because I know that we didn't understand. And we talked about this prior to the, the press zone. Uh, This show was called the press box and and from the press box. And, and we were just, um, uh, scratching our heads about the decision. It made no sense uh, at the time. Um, he was traded for Gustav Olofsson. Gustav Olofsson from um, the Minnesota organization um, and who didn't amount to much in, in Montreal. And and uh, you had in, in Will Bitten, um, you know, a guy who was, uh, he's, he was always thought of as a, as a two-way player, excellent uh, defensive player, uh, he was a leader uh, in junior hockey. Um, I remember reading a scouting report. Uh, he was described as a buzzsaw, and I think that still <laughs> applies to him yes. today. Yet, he was a point-of-game player in junior. Um, so he had the offense. He he was responsible defensively. He was a leader. Uh, his work ethic and grit was off the charts. Um, and a player that uh, that uh, Mark Bergevin felt uh, could be traded away, and and, and uh, the the side benefit that's usually uh, you know tops in in Jeff Molson's book in the fact that he could speak French. So it was a bit and bi- that it was his first language. It was a, as he just said. It was bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Um, and, and but you know, having said that, as he said. Things happen for a reason, and uh, I'm I'm happy for him. I'm happy that um, he's found uh, a home where he is now, and he's had he's had a very good, um, successful season so far. He has, in fact, uh, we went a little bit further, talked about 
the trade from Minnesota to from the Minnesota organization to the to the St. Louis Blues organization, uh, and just what that has meant for him, what that's been like for him, uh, and why he thinks uh, that ended up being a, a pretty good fit. I'm a really fast player. I like to be engaged. I'm always around the net, and you know it worked out both for me. And you know this year coming to Springfield, we have a really good team. I knew a lot of guys coming in here uh, that I knew before, so that helped a lot. And uh, our coaches, uh, Dan Stu and obviously Bannister, um, I, I played against them all in UHL when they're coaching, so they already knew my style. I think that was a that was one of the biggest things why they wanted to bring me here. They knew how I played, so. Uh, it's worked out, like I said, and uh, this series against Laval is going to be a lot of fun for everyone. If you haven't seen him uh, play, <laughs> you'll see him in in uh, when the series moves to Laval. He's the guy in front of around the net. He's the guy around the puck. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in you you can't miss uh, Will Bitten, and he's fast. <laughs> Absolutely, and he's fast. In fact, uh, finally, uh, just we talked to him about you know what. Um, I, I, he had said in one of his responses that his style, uh, that he believes uh, his style of play is better suited to pro hockey than it was even junior hockey. And Rick, you just talked about what, uh, what kind of production he had in junior hockey, but he feels his style of play is better suited for the pro game. And so I asked him to pinpoint, given that, and given his thoughts on that, asked him to pinpoint the areas of his game that he feels has grown the most now that he is playing pro hockey. Uh, and uh, he's he's pretty good at scouting himself, I got to say. Yeah, I, I feel like in, a, in pro hockey, it's hard to get inside the guts of the ice, get, get in traffic, you know, get in front of the net. There's a lot of big guys in this league, and it's it's mm-hmm. really tough, and you know, when you're young coming into the league, you're playing against men, right? You're, you're not used to, you got, you're playing against 30 year olds that are maybe 10, 15 years older than you. But I think the HL and once you move up to the NHL, um, speed's a big thing in this game. And, you know, with my speed and aggressiveness and always hanging around the net, a lot of guys don't like doing that. Right. So I think that, um, my style of play really suits well the playoffs and as well in this league. It's just, it's determination. It is. Um, it's not like he's uh, a huge player, 5'11", 180. Um, he's uh, you know, average size. Um, he just has has the work ethic. He has the will. Uh, and, and he's smart enough to know what needs to be done, obviously, in that little scouting report of himself. And, and he's uh, just fearless. He is. Uh, wishing him the best of luck. He... Uh... Hasn't had a goal yet in this series. We'll see if that changes once he uh, once he's in Montreal because he is, you know, he said in that first response that he disappointed in in being traded away from Montreal because he's from Ottawa. Ottawa. He's got family in the area, so I imagine there's going to be a will bit and cheering section in Place Bell for all three of these games, uh, and so we'll see if that doesn't elevate him a bit. Uh, and and give him a little bit of an extra oomph and and push and see if he doesn't get on this on the score sheet. It's going to be pretty fun to watch. Uh, and uh, just want to, of course, a shout out and a thank you to uh, Ryan Smith at Springfield, uh, the PR coordinator and the the play by play broadcaster as well uh, for coordinating those two interviews in the midst of the playoffs for Patrick and I. Uh, we we had a great time uh, sitting down and chatting with the two of them and and really learned a lot from them. Why are you talking about the other team? Why? 
because we're fans of great stories. <laughs> well, that's yeah. we're fans of great stories, and and both of these players are are truly when you look at their journey in hockey are great stories. Absolutely, and and you know what you could I almost titled this segment on the agenda. Where are they now? Just for you. Thanks. Thank you. Because it technically this is this is a very extended. Where are they now? We're taking a look at two who two Habs prospects that used to be pretty big deal prospects uh, at in their individual given times uh, who aren't with the organization anymore, and they're playing against Laval right now. So, yeah, let's explore it a little bit. Um, lastly, in this segment, before we before we head to our first commercial break, uh, just want to mention Chris Weidman uh, is the first contract extension of the summer for Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, signing a two year contract extension, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars the first year, seven seventy five the second year. Um, I was happy uh, to hear about the contract extension. Liked the price. Um, I'm sure Chris Weidman likes the term, and um, you know. Chris Weidman's just a, a reliable depth defenseman. Uh, don't mind, don't mind that signing at all, uh, Rick. I think the important thing to remember is there shouldn't be a whole lot of these these uh, blue line um, contracts popping up throughout the summer, just because there's a lot of uh, blue line depth that's kind of going to start coming into the spotlight. I think here pretty soon. I think we'll be pretty disappointed if um, Kent Hughes is active um, on, in the free agency period um, as far as acquiring defensemen. Mm-hmm. We want to see him trading, um, trading a contract, trading that uh, Shea Weber's con- contract. We want to see him trading Jeff Petrie, which we think he's going to do. There's some... Uh, veteran depth uh, on the Montreal blue line in in uh, Savard and Edmondson, um, but the the main thing is to make room for the youth. Um, Romanov, of course, um, jumped up and took a lot of extra minutes this past year. But there's uh, Jordan Harris and Justin Barron um, and Caden Gooley on on his way. Um, so that's, that's, that's who should be competing for those spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe an Arbor Jacki. Um, and, and you're going to need some depth. You're going to need some veterans. And a Chris Weidman is, is, um, it, it makes, made sense. The contract did a uh, digestible contract for the Canadians. Good term for himself. Um, and he's someone who knows and likes the organization and and knows and and likes the the players and the and the role that he has. So, uh, good fit all around. Um, we just don't want to see too much of it uh, over the summer. No, and I mean, keep in mind there will be uh, you know first level call ups from Laval if needed, like Gianni Fairbrother, like Matthias Norlander. Um, so there's a lot of young prospects uh, for development and growth and usage. Uh, coming up on the blue line, so it'll be it'll be very curious just to watch how that progresses. And and yeah, we don't want to see a whole lot of of contract signing. Um, also appreciate that Chris Weidman knows that his jersey's not going to get retired at the Bell Center. He's he's, he's a realist. <laughs> it was such oh my goodness, what a, it was a great quote from his press conference. <laughs> um, all right, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors over at DraftKings. When we come back, we're going to take you uh, to the Western Conference Final 
tell you how things are shaping up between the Chicago Wolves and the Stockton Heat, and then get you all set for games three, four, and five of the Laval Rocket. Uh, Lots of exciting stuff coming this week. You don't want to miss it. You are listening to The Press Zone right here on Rocket Sports Radio. Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Are you looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And welcome back to the Press Zone right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media, episode 259 of the Press Zone. Uh, Once again, I'm your host, Amy Johnson, joined by my co-host, Rick Stevens. Uh, Make sure if you're not doing so already uh, that you are following us on Twitter at the AHL Report and at the Press Zone. Uh, If you're looking for Rick, you can find him manning the at all Habs account on Twitter. You can find me at Flyers Rule. Uh, If you're a newer listener and you haven't subscribed yet to the show, uh, we invite you to do that right now. It's just as simple as looking down at your phone or computer screen and just tapping that subscribe button. It takes just a second to do that. Uh, And really, of course, the best way that you can show your appreciation for this show uh, and, and help us out Uh, is just by hitting the share button and just sharing this podcast with your friends and fans and followers on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, whatever your uh, social media platform of choice is. Uh, Email it off to, uh, you know, hit the, sometimes when you hit that share button, that old dinosaur thing called email even shows up. You can share it with someone that you know enjoys the Montreal Canadiens and enjoys talking about prospects uh, because we've got lots of great stuff stories coming for you all summer long. Um, We talked ad nauseum about the Eastern Conference final, but there is another series going on in the other half of the continent, and that is the Western Conference final between the Chicago Wolves and Stockton Heat. Uh, If you missed last week's uh, Press Zone episode, uh, invite you to go back and listen to it. It was an AHL hot stove week, which meant Patrick Williams was here on the show with Rick, my, Rick and myself, uh, and he helped give us a really in-depth preview of this uh, Western Conference final uh, between basic, essentially boiling it down to this could be the Calder Cup final between these two teams. Two, two of the top teams in, in the league this year uh, It was going to really be a battle. Uh, expect this to go to the the, the diff. Excuse me, the distance. Uh, you've got young, exciting goaltending like Dustin Wolf facing off against Alex Lyon. You've got 
uh, all sorts of uh, players up and down each lineup that are exciting to watch. Rick, I don't know that anyone predicted that Chicago would have a two to nothing lead in the series going into game three. Well, uh, it, not not a huge surprise in that um, they've been very good at home. And yeah. um, I, I, I don't think, though, that we, we expected uh, with the kind of goaltending man, man, matchup uh, in this series, uh, uh, the first game to end five to four, nine no. goals being scored. <laughs> um, but this, this yeah, the, not only two of the, these are the two top teams. Uh, yeah. If you look at the regular season standings, uh, in the AHL, the class of the league, um, and uh, and it you know the first game was uh, was very exciting. Chicago opened the scoring. Stockton scored three. Uh, Chicago scored three, um, and then um, uh, Stockton tied it up and went into overtime. The difference in this game, uh, actually, I should say, the difference in the series has been the power play. The Chicago uh, Wolves power play was lethal in the first game, scoring three power play goals on three opportunities. Um, and um, yeah, that, that, that was absolutely uh, the difference uh, in this, in this first game, second game, uh, they, they added another power play goal. Um, and in a one goal, it was tighter in game two. Um, the one goal uh, difference was a power play goal. And uh, Chicago rotating their goaltenders for game two. Alex Lyon got the start in game one. Uh, he did not in game two. Um, and so we'll have to see if if they continue to, to rotate uh, or if they're going to settle on one or the other. Uh, but a fascinating series to watch. It's one of those, you know, we talked earlier in the Calder Cup playoffs that it was a shame that... Um, the Bakersfield Condors and Abbotsford Canucks were playing each other so early uh, in the play in the play-in round uh, because those were two teams that could have been a, a a good matchup late in the in the playoffs, uh, and this is certainly called a cup final worthy hockey uh, with the Western Conference Finals. So, game three takes place. Uh, game three for. Eastern Conference and Western Conference both take place on Wednesday night this week. Um, of course, uh, we actually will have all of the coverage of the Laval Rocket Eastern Conference Final Series at AHLReport.com and live in-game updates at the AHL Report on Twitter. Uh, three games, games three, four, and five, all taking place this week in Laval at Place Bell. That's Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. All of them are 7 o'clock starts. Uh, if you're local in Montreal, I do believe RDS will be uh, broadcasting those, but you can also catch them on AHL TV. Um, and Rick, it's going to be, uh, we know Place Bell is going to be rocking. Mm -hmm. We know they've got the the fan party going on outside of Place Bell uh, the, for a couple of hours prior to puck drop. Um, we know it's going to be uh, an intense atmosphere our Chris G, of course, will still be in the press box, as he is for every home game throughout the entire season. Uh, and he and I will be working together to bring you recaps and post-game interviews, uh, probably with both teams. Um, and uh, it's just going to be a really, uh, really intense and exciting and hopefully entertaining week of hockey. A lot of those Montreal Canadiens fans uh, looking for good hockey are finding have discovered the Laval Rocket. Um, but if you want, as as you said, if you want to make sure that uh, you, you're 
finding articles and, and uh, recaps, um, audio of, of po- post-game audio, you can head to AHLReport.com. Also, uh, just want to be sure if you if you want to keep track of what's going on with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, just check in on allhabs.net each day. Uh, Chris G, of course, has the Habs notepad every Monday. Uh, and then Rick, as, as headlines happen, uh, will have a Habs headline uh, article out early in the morning uh, on weekdays when there's extra news happening throughout the week. Um, if you are not yet subscribed to the All Habs YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? Um, come join me and a whole slew of Habs fans over on the All Habs YouTube channel. That is youtube.com slash allhabs. Hit the subscribe button. Every Thursday, I host the Habs Hockey Report on the All Habs YouTube channel. We talk about what's going on with the Canadians. We talk about the Laval Rocket. We have lots of fan interaction. Uh, I take questions. We take mail. We listen to your responses to the question of the week, which I call the Feedback Forum. Uh, There's exclusive interviews that happen there uh, as well. So make sure you're subscribed and check that out. And... If that's not enough, if if you just want to go like fully immersive experience with just the Montreal Canadiens and all things Montreal Canadiens, then I'm sure you're subscribed to the Canadians Connection podcast hosted by Rick Stevens and Michael Spinella every Saturday. Uh, and if you're not, go to CanadiansConnection.fm and subscribe. And hey, I actually... Michael's Michael's got to be out of town on Saturday, so Rick, I get to join you for the Canadians Connection as your co-host this week. He's got a drumming gig. Uh, a drumming hear. gig. Yeah, that's what we hear, and so uh, we're happy. I'm going to challenge him to a flam tap com- contest. Oh well, we'll have to have that on on the show as well. <laughs> but listen, there's there's lots uh, happening. It's signing season. Uh, oh, the, yeah. the draft is coming up, and there's there's a lot of discussion about that. But it's signing season. You mentioned. The Chris Weidman uh, uh, signing, we'll be talking about that, the Canadians Connection. There was another signing today in the Hockey Ops Department, and we'll be uh, reviewing that on Saturday as well. Absolutely. So we've got you covered, A to Z, Montreal Canadiens, Prospects, the Laval Rocket, uh, Rocket Sports Media Publications is the way to uh, do it. We, of course, will be back with you again next Tuesday. We'll have lots to talk about. We're either going to be talking about the fact that this series is done or that there's one more game yet to play. Um, So we'll uh, wait with bated breath to see which it's going to be. We hope you're following along with us at the AHL Report. We thank you for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you back here next Tuesday for another great episode of The Press Zone right here on Rocket Sports Radio. Click subscribe to never miss an episode of The Press Zone on Rocket Sports Radio. Visit AHLReport.com for the latest news on hockey prospects.